This is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to helping engineers succeed in work and life. The show is hosted by engineering enthusiast Anthony Fasano and Chris Knutson. Both are professional engineers who found success early in their careers and now work together to help other engineers do the same. Now it's showtime. Hello, this is Anthony Fasano, and this is the show for engineers and technical professionals who want to succeed in both work and life. In today's episode, I'm talking with seasoned leadership expert, author on generalleadership.com, and an extremely accomplished leader and leadership coach, Croft Edwards, about his new book called Leadership Flow, Perfectly Square, a story about learning to lead and transforming a company. Croft's a great guy. We met when he spoke at our Engineering Career Summit down in New Orleans a few years ago. He served our country, and now he's helping to create leaders throughout our country through his coaching and his training, and I couldn't think of a better person to have on for the first episode of 2018. Happy New Year to all of you here in the U.S., and I know that there's also listeners really all over the world, and I just want to continue to do this podcast and to help you grow and to create the engineering career or the technical career that you want to create and really hopefully be able to help a lot of people and build a lot of wealth. That's what success, in my opinion, is about. Having some of that freedom on your own, having some of that time. We closed the year out with the gig economy episode last time. We talked about that a little bit. So feel free to go to engineeringcareercoach.com into the Ask Us tab and type questions in for me at any time. If you want to do a coaching session, I would highly recommend that you get clear on your goals for this year. The biggest challenge that engineers have that I deal with on a regular basis is that they don't know where they want to go or they think they are going in the right direction, but they're not doing or taking the steps that they need to get to where they want to be. And I don't want that to happen to you. It's just having a coaching call or talking to someone about it can change the course of your career, period. And if you don't think you can afford one-on-one coaching, which is understandable, go to theengineeringmastermind.com and join our community. And you can get help and support for very inexpensive from other top engineers from across the country. All right. So before we get into the discussion with Croft, I want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor for today's episode, PPI. They are helping tomorrow's leaders achieve licensure exam success. So be sure to listen up at the end of this podcast episode to hear my advice on a super practical way you can advance in your career. Thanks to PPI, I also have an exclusive 20% discount available only to listeners of this podcast. So stay tuned for that. I also want to take a moment to tell you about our new engineering management accelerator workshop, which you can find at engineertomanager.com. For almost 10 years now, we've been trying to figure out how to help engineers become more effective managers. And I believe we finally figured out how, and it comes down to three words, intensity, focus, and accountability. And if you enroll in our Engineering Management Accelerator Workshop, you will experience all three. I'm going to tell you more about the program at the end of the show, as we are currently enrolling engineers for our next session, which begins in just a few weeks. And you can find out all the details at engineertomanager.com. Now I'd like to introduce our guest for today's episode so you get to know a little bit more about him before we dive in. Since 2001, Croft Edwards has coached hundreds of individuals from leaders and executives to boots-on-the-ground team members in both private and public settings. Croft's passion is coaching clients to reach for leadership flow, a heightened state of being which in turn produces peak performance at critical moments. 
His methodology has evolved over many years of leadership in the military and coaching business leaders and teams. And, and we get into this idea of leadership flow in the interview, and it's really interesting. And his new book is really interesting as well because he does write it like a story, which we'll talk about in the interview. So now to bring you into the interview with Croft, I'd like to give you a quote. And the quote is from Ray Kroc, and it goes as follows. The quality of a leader is reflected in the standards they set for themselves. So now I'd like to welcome Croft Edwards to the Engineering Career Coach podcast. Croft is a master certified coach. He's a social media influencer, president of Croft and Company, and he's actually been on the podcast before about a year and a half ago. Chris interviewed him, and we're happy to have him back. Croft, welcome back. Great to be back, Anthony. So, Croft, it's been a while since you've been on, and I know when you came on with Chris, you did talk a little bit about leadership flow, but a lot has happened since then, including your new book, Leadership Flow Perfectly Square, is out, which is a story about learning to lead and transforming a company. And we're going to get into that a bit, but before we do, Croft, why don't you just kind of give a little bit of a description of your background for those listeners that are out there? I guess go back to when I was about eight years old. I uh, read a the autobiography of World War II General Omar Bradley uh, entitled The Soldier's Story, and it really sparked in me a fundamental question that I've been kind of pursuing since then, which is why was he successful as a leader or for that matter, any leader? In you know, World War II, obviously, lots of different leaders. Some were very successful, some not. So that was then just kind of a, a question that was always in the back of my mind as I grew up and went through life. A place I started really studying leadership was the U.S. Army. I spent five years on active duty and then another 17, 18 years in the National Guard and Reserve. And again, through all of it, it was this question of why were certain leaders effective, other leaders not? And so that just led me on this journey to, to discover or to explore leadership. And then that led to leadership flow, which is kind of my methodology, which is really combining two different things. One is leadership from a term we use ontological coaching as ontological coaches. We define leadership as the authority granted to an individual by their followers. And so the basic premise is if I'm going to be a leader, I have to have followers that say, in you, I see a future. And then another place that, that I took was this study of flow, which is ultimate human performance, which is really coming to the forefront with neuroscience and so on and so forth. But the basic definition is when we are at our best and we feel our best. And we've all felt flow. It's that time when time stands still, stands still. you're so in a task that you just absolutely are having a blast. You forget about everything but the task. So for me, the real aha was this kind of this idea of what if really the goal of leadership is not results, but that's rather the byproduct of tapping flow in individuals and teams. And so leadership flow is that study of how do I tap flow in people who are around me so that they're at their best and they perform at their best. There's a sentence from the preface of your book that I want to just read quickly, which goes along the lines of what you just said. And it says, flow brings out the best in individuals. And for me, I realized I was constantly seeking that natural high of being my best. And I think that that's a good way to capture it is that that is what, how to describe flow. Like when you just feel like things are going great, you're doing great. You feel like you're flying high. Everything is going right. Whether it's you're making a bunch of sales or you're working on a project and the whole project is flowing really well. You're getting along with the client. And I love this idea that Croft is saying is as opposed to just trying to go out there and get results as a leader, try to put your teams into that state. 
Yeah. And some things are going to be counterintuitive because in some respects, old school leaders might say, well, so what you're basically saying is make everybody happy and cater to your team. And in some respects, yeah, because if I show up and, and we've all felt this, if I show up and I love my job, I love the project, I have authority to make decisions, I have authority to put my DNA in this project, that's going to be a far different outcome than if my boss just says, just show up and give me you know, what I want, which the term I use a lot is eight in the gate. And you see those employees that they've got that eight in the gate mentality of, look, I'm just here to do my job. And every day becomes a drudgery. Well, what kind of project are we going to produce if that's how people are seeing their work? And so flow is just, it's kind of our birthright. It's, that's what it means to be human. And so our goal as leaders is to bring people alive and let them, because they're having so much fun, do great stuff. I think what you just said is really important as far as working with your team so that they're more or less happy in what they're doing. I read a book not too long ago. To, it was a really good book. It was called Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as If Your Life Depended on It by a guy named Chris Voss, who was an FBI agent, and he used to negotiate like in hostage situations. And his premise in the book, like Never Split the Difference, is like if you're in a negotiation and you kind of asking someone to take less than they want and they end up taking less, you're not going to get their best because they're mentally going to be like thinking their mindset's going to be, you know what, I'm kind of taking less, so I'm going to do less. And it's the same thing, I think, along the lines and kind of what you were saying before is like, if you're just trying to be a hard leader all the time and say, I can't really give in to anyone. I can't really appease anyone. I mean, they're going to be thinking the same way on the opposite end. Like we're going to kind of do whatever we have to do to kind of keep this person happy and keep them off our backs type of thing. Right. Yeah, but it is, it's that bare minimum. And now I'm going to get the bare minimum from my employees. And really all we're talking about is just finding what makes people click. And, you know, it's simple things. And part of leadership flow is these are things you can actually practice. And at its core, it's, it's conversations. And conversations ultimately always deal with what people care about. So if I'm an employee, as an example, and fundamentally I love my job, but my boss is making me be there these hours that are affecting my personal life. I can't get my kids to school. My performance is going to suffer. So what if I'm a boss and I realize, oh, I've got this one employee that's got young kids. They need to be there in the morning. Let's figure out a way to make it work for them. So now all of a sudden this employee goes, wow, not only do I get to do a job I love, but they listen, they meet my needs. I get to be with my kids in the morning to get them off to school. That's a different employee. And that's a conversation that leaders can practice and that's one of the whole premises of leadership flow. It's stuff I can practice. I can actually practice having effective conversations. And so that's a thing we focus on leadership flow is what are the conversations we need to start having? And then can we practice them to get good at them? That's a great point. And especially in the world we live in where a lot of people are kind of stressed to the max these days and they got families that usually have two people working, both parents. And I think when you're a leader that can recognize these stresses and work with your team to try to alleviate their stresses so that they can get into flow, essentially, it's a smart move as opposed to just ignoring it or expecting them, putting really high expectations on them that maybe aren't always feasible, working with people to give, put them in the right atmosphere. I have a client that in the entire client, almost everybody said one of their favorite things the organization did was they had a, they called a 980 shift, which was for salaried people, every two weeks you worked nine days and you had every other Friday off. And what blew me away was one, everybody talked about this was probably the, one of the biggest benefits they got. And what they said was the Fridays they did work, they got more work done than any day. 
because half of the organization wasn't there. So they just focused on something they need to catch up on. And then that Friday they were off. That's when they took care of all their doctor's appointments. They did all the errands they had to run. And they said they got, not only did they get in theory, the same amount of work, they got more work out of them by giving them more time off. And those are conversations that organizations can have to say, all right, what are people's needs and how do we meet those as opposed to the company or the teams? Our goals come first and yours are secondary. And that's where a lot of, you know, I tell people the two most common moods I see in organizations are resignation and resentment. And that's a pity because what if it was ambition? What if it was acceptance? What if it was excitement? What if those were the most common moods? But usually it's resignation and resentment. For the listener that's trying to kind of wrap their head around this, maybe you can either give an example or maybe you can use the story in your book or however you want to frame it. But so what you do is you try to help organizations and teams get into or leaders, I guess, help to put their teams into this state of flow. So talk to us about how you even approach that. Kind of the core of the model, I always tell people the most difficult person you ever have to lead is yourself. And so I got to get me out of the way to be an effective leader. And so when we're talking about flow, one of the things I always start with leaders is, where are you? Are you having fun in your job? Or is it becoming drudgery for you? Because if it's drudgery for you, that's likely going to show up to your team as a mood of drudgery. And so the premise to find it, I got to find it myself. I've got to start leading myself, showing up differently, showing up in different moods and emotions. And it's interesting, moods and emotions in most organizations are taboo, unless, of course, they're positive. So we love Anthony when he's in a good mood and he does all these great things and he's positive, right? But what if Anthony's having a bad week? We almost tell Anthony, look, leave it at home. We don't have time for this stuff. And so as a leader, if I can get my issues out of the way and I see Anthony struggling with something, my job is to go have a conversation and say, hey, what's going on? How can I help you? And it may be Anthony's got something going on in his personal life. And right now his focus isn't at work. Great. Go deal with what's in your personal life and let me help you. And let's make sure whatever we need to do at the office is being taken care of. And so it's getting ourselves out of the way and starting to create an organization that lives in different moods and emotions. And for most people, that's, oh, God, that's that touchy feely stuff. Yeah, that touchy feely stuff is what makes is the difference between good organizations and great organizations. Because great organizations have tons of positive emotions. Well, to get to positive emotions, sometimes we have to deal with the negatives. And it takes a leader that's very centered and very aware of themselves as a leader to have those conversations. That's interesting. I think you hit on a really important point because what I see a lot in the corporate world today is people try to have this line, black and white line between work and home. And a leader might say, like, listen, you come here to do your work, you do your work, and then you can go home and do whatever you got to do. But the problem is, is it doesn't work like that because person is a person and they don't just shut their brain off to one thing when they come into the office. It's just not, it doesn't work. And if you want to be ignorant to that as a leader, it's going to be very difficult. Cause like you said, you're not going to tap into that with that person, who that person really is. And you're not going to be able to get him into a flow state and you're not going to be able to help him succeed because you're only looking at half the story. You know, you think of just take a, for lack of a better word, a typical employee. Most people have jobs because they pay the bills. They allow them to do things in their personal life. So we erroneously think, well, you know what? I don't care about your personal life. But what if we said, okay, if that's our analogy, my goal is to do everything I can to make my employees get what they want in their personal life 
because the more happy they are in the personal life, the easier it's going to correlate to happiness at work. And so I've got to figure out what it is. I had a coachee one time that we were in a coaching conversation and he kind of, you know, we're in a room, just him and I, and he kind of leans in and real quietly says, you know what I really want to do? I want to coach high school football. And it, he had, this has been a passion of his forever, but the job would never let him do it. And I was talking later with his permission, we were talking to his boss about it. His boss, well, we just can't make that work. I said, think about it. How effective is he going to be as an employee if for those four months a year, he gets to leave early on Fridays to go help the local high school team? He's going to love his job. He's going to say to himself, you know what? I've got an amazing job. I want to give to my job. But what was happening was over time, each season would pass and he would get more and more resignation would grow in him. Like it's never going to happen. Frustration. You know what? I, I hate my job because I'm not really doing what I want to do. So how do we figure out to make these things balanced so that we can get people saying, you know what? I've got the greatest job ever. I love my job and it allows me to do things in my personal life, pursue hobbies. And another client that was a big hunter and his job allowed him to basically take a whole month off. And yeah, it was an inconvenience for people, but everybody knew that that's what the guy lived for. And so for 11 months a year, he was there. He was there every morning at, at 5.30. He did what he needed to do and he went above and beyond because he knew when, when hunting season rolled around, I can do what I love. And that's a mindset that in a lot of organizations, we don't have time for that because we need you to work. You know, we need you 24-7. That's really interesting. And I love the approach because basically what we're getting at here is, and, and from the stuff that you're saying, it's evident that if you want to build a team that works together and that gets into this flow state, you need to look at each person. You need to look at them as a whole, not just what they're there to do at work. You need to look at what interests them. You need to look at what excites them. And you have to come to the realization that not everything in life that excites them happens between nine and five in your office. And there may be some difficult conversations on the team because let's say we let you know, employee do whatever they want, not whatever they want to do, but we let them set up a, a schedule that works for them or a, a career that works for them. But employee B may say, well, that's not fair. So we've got to be able to say, okay, so let's have conversations and let's figure out what is fair and what works for everybody. Because if employee A gets to take this month off to go hunting, employee B, what do you need? How do we support you? Not just, hey, employee A and Employee A may need to make some concessions, but if we're committed as a team and we've said, this is what we as a team are working on, this is what we're committed to, then let's figure out a way to make it work. Because it doesn't mean, you know, I'm not saying you go out and let anybody do whatever they want. That's chaos. That's anarchy. It's not going to work. We have to have some rules. We have to, as a team, say, wait, we're committed to X. And to be committed to X, I can't get everything I want and you can't get everything you want, but together we can formulate a plan that works for everybody. So basically, it's like a family approach. People have to be on the same page. People need to understand that if we all want to have a great and fulfilling experience at work, we have to work so that our whole team can have that experience. And it doesn't mean that everyone's going to get the same exact thing because people aren't the same. The family is a great analogy because we're committed to something bigger than us, right? Because we put teams together, organizations together to fulfill promises that we can't do as individuals. So we have to, as a team, say, wait, we're committed to this. And so when we're committed to something, it doesn't mean I get to do only what I want to do. In a high-performing organization, leaders say, you know what? Croft isn't doing his work, or he's not committed to what we're committed to. We have to have a conversation about that. And to be a part of this team requires a commitment. And if you can't commit to that, that's fine. We'll figure out someplace else for you to do that. 
But to be a part of this team, these are our standards to be a part of this team. And we have to know you're committed to that. And so that's something that it doesn't mean all every conversation, just go, 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 do whatever you want. There's conversations that are difficult because an employee isn't meeting our standards. We have to have a conversation that if you're going to be a part of this team, you got to meet the standards. And if not, we're not going to be angry at it. We're going to just say, there's not a place for you on our team. And we'll find somebody that does want to be on the team who's willing to commit to the standards. Cruff, can I ask you a question about your time in the service? So you said early on that when you were a kid, you knew that you wanted to learn about leadership and that was something that was passionate for you. So when you were in the Army actively, how was that for you as far as, like, what did you learn about leadership there? Obviously, many places. The Army and the military specifically, great place to learn leadership, but it's not the only style of leadership. And so I think going in, you know, one of the things you think, oh, well, I'm an army officer that we own leadership. No, we're very good at certain things, but it also means we're human. We're not great at everything. So I learned, you know, some very fundamental things. And at its core was the kind of the aspect of responsibility. And it was the ownership of this is my team, my organization, my platoon, my company, whatever. I own it in the sense that I own the commitment to fulfill my commitments. That's me. So I'm the leader. So I'm responsible for everything that happens and does not happen. And that's kind of a universal thing I took from the military leadership that at the end of the day, I have to own everything that happens or does not happen in my organization. Now, how to get there, there's a million different ways. And that's then something I've really been studying, you know, further on learning was that at the end of the day, we're always making requests. A tool of a leader is the ability to make a request. How I do that, there's many ways. I can make a demand. You will do it because I said you'll do it. All right. That's an option, but I can also make different requests. And so as I really started to evolve from that, I started to look more at, okay, so what's fundamentally happening in leadership? Leadership is in the body. When you see a leader that shows up, you've all, you've probably seen, they walk in the room, you go, I don't know who that person is, but I want to follow them. There's something about them that says they've got a presence. So that's something we can practice. We can learn. And then that's kind of where the follow-on, when I really started to get into the study of leadership and leadership flow, that's when we started looking at the body, how that shows up and so on in, in leadership. Yeah. And the reason I asked you that question was because just strictly from a civilian perspective, because I have no experience in the military, I think the perception is that a leader in the military takes a very hard approach, right? A very like, you said, do this. And your leadership flow seems to be different from that. So it was interesting to me that you served and then you have this other approach. So I was just interested to see kind of how that came about. I mean, I agree with you. There's different ways to get there in everything, but I just, I found that to be interesting that it seems like it's a totally different. I've met leaders that I had a, uh, when I was in the um, National Guard, I had a brigade commander who was just an amazing leader and you could come talk to him. It blew me away because he was a general officer and what he really wanted was not he wasn't looking for friendship or, you know, being nice to you. He really cared about what I cared about. And when he cared that I could be, you know, and he allowed me to be frustrated, but then got me back in the game. I was like, oh my God, this is different than what I thought because I've met, you know, senior leaders that look, I don't want to hear your problems. Just get your job done. And so it, it I'd like to think what you're saying in some respects is a compliment that I've evolved as a leader. One of the things I realized by the time I was ready to retire, my rank had very little meaning to me in the sense that I could walk into some place because of my rank, people would automatically give me respect. But I realized they were giving the rank respect. I had to earn 
me personally, and that's the kind of that definition of leadership flow. They had to give me the authority to lead them. I had the authority to manage them. The organization said, because of your rank and your position, I can tell you what to do. But if I really wanted them committed, they had to say, you've offered me something that I'm committed to. That's a big leap as a leader. And I'd like to think I made that, have made that leap. And I know there are leaders that haven't, that they fall back on that management piece. My rank is telling you what to do, not I'm inspiring you to do what is right. You just reminded me of the quote by Dwight D. Eisenhower, leadership is the art of getting someone else to do something you want done because he or she wants to do it. And that's kind of what you're saying is like, listen, if I have higher authority over you and something, for example, like the military, you have to do what I say because of my rank. But do they really want to do it? Do they want to work with you? Sounds like essentially what this is getting down to, Croft, is leadership is a people thing. You have to be able to connect with people and you have to be able to understand their passion, what they're excited about, and put them in an opportunity or an atmosphere to do that, to execute on that. And if you're not, it's going to be a harder. It's at its core is finding that inner spark in people where they show up. And that's the definition of flow. They show up at their best, perform at their best. And as a leader, I can set the conditions for that so that people are allowed to do those things that bring them alive. And for many people, it's that reward of just, we put in a lot of good, hard work and we're proud of what we did. That's amazing when people feel like, you know what, we busted our tails and we're proud of this product. No, there had to be some leader somewhere in that organization helping them by getting out of the way and removing obstacles so they could do that. All right. So Croft, there's a lot, a lot of books on leadership out there and probably because like you said, there's a lot of different ways to do it. But your book, Leadership Flow Perfectly Square, you wrote it as a story. Can you just talk about that? Maybe how and why you did that? I've read obviously a lot of leadership books and a lot of them I found very interesting, but that was kind of because I was a leadership geek. And I've seen uh, leaders and organizations go, I just got this book from so-and-so, this famous author. I read five pages and said, God, I have no idea what they're saying. And you've seen the the 400-page book on the art of leadership, and it's just blah, 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 blah. So I sat down, I had some time in August of last year, and I said, okay, so if I was going to write a book, what would I write? Well, I remember one of my clients saying, I'm not a big reader. And secondly, I don't really have time to read. So I said, okay, I've got to write a book, first of all, that they want to read and that they can read in a relatively short time. So the premise of the story is that parables tend to be, if you look at TED Talks, they're generally stories. And so most people, if it's a good story, I'll I'll continue to read it. And also it's gotta be short enough that, okay, I can read two or three chapters and it's not a big deal. I said, I'm gonna write a book that somebody could read on an airplane going from Dallas to Detroit and I can read it in that amount of time. And more importantly, for that amount of time, I wanted to read that. I got lost. I found flow because the book was so good. And so that's what I was striving for was they said, holy cow, I just read a book and it was an hour and a half, two hours. And I didn't even realize I was reading it because the pages kept turning because the story was good. And so that's really kind of how the premise. Now, whether I get there, that's up to the reader, obviously. But I'm very happy with the story because it really a lot of the characters are just an amalgamation of clients I've had and situations I've seen. and, And that's how I tried to write the book. It's a story of an organization of a company that's having some trouble providing the services it's supposed to be providing. And then uh, Croft kind of walks you through it. And it's really interesting. And it is, a, it is great because it is engaging and it keeps you going. I think in the world 
that we live in today, any kind of content or any way, anytime you're trying to help people, you want to try to keep them engaged because that's going to help them to get the most out of it. All right, so Croft, what I'm going to ask you to do is sit tight with us for another minute. We're going to go into our Take Action Today segment of the show. I have one more something in your book that I want to ask you about that we can wrap up with and kind of leave everyone with. Does that sound good? Awesome. Sounds great. Now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show. I'm going to talk with Croft here and try to wrap this up and give you something that you can take and use immediately. Before I do that, though, I do want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor for today's episode, PPI. One of the biggest pieces of advice that I can provide to engineers is to get your professional license as early as possible. It's a practical way to advance your career, earn more money, and set yourself apart. To learn more about the exams, including invaluable exam tips, check out PPI's Resource Center for the FENPE exam. It's a one-stop hub for all the information you need to register, prepare for, and ultimately pass your exam. Visit ppi2pass.com forward slash resources to learn more. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com forward slash resources. And if you need exam prep materials, use promo code TECH on PPI's website for an exclusive 20% discount. Again, that's promo code TECH, which stands for The Engineering Career Coach. All right, I'm back with Croft Edwards, Master Certified Coach, author of Leadership Flow, Perfectly Square, a story about learning to lead and transforming a company. All right, so we're in our Take Action Today segment now because what we try to do here at the end of the podcast is give you a takeaway. We understand that there's lots of information out there in today's world. And if you listen to this and stop listening and you literally go back to work, we want you to be able to start to do something different. And in this case, we want to talk about accessing flow. So Croft, what can you give our listener to try to do something around flow, something to either access flow? There's really neat research being done on flow. And so one of the things that scientists are learning in flow And a great example is like Steph Curry, the basketball player for the Golden State Warriors. When he's on, he's just, it's like, it's almost looks effortless. But one of the the things that research is proving just time and time again, that the most fundamental way we can control our body is through breath. And what they're finding is in that moment of flow, it's game seven of the NBA finals and there's 12 seconds left. And the difference between a Steph Curry and you and I is if we were in that situation and the ball got passed to us, literally we'd go, right? And our body would tense up and we probably would just shoot a brick. The Steph Currys of the world, what they would do is breathe completely normal because they're in the moment, they're in flow and everything's the way it should be. So the most, one of the most basic leadership principles is to breathe. And you may say, well, Croft, I've been breathing for 47 years. I do it all the time. Yes, but you may not be breathing effectively. And so the simple act of slowing down your breathing and what science is proving, when we breathe slower and deeper, we get more oxygen in our system, our body's operating at normal, as opposed to when we're in a situation, we're triggered, our body is tense, we've got all sorts of neurochemicals going through our body. That's probably not going to be when we're at our best because it's kind of that, you know, adrenaline rush. Yeah, it's great for that moment, but oh God, now I'm out of control. So it's breathing. And the practice of breathing is an amazing thing. And it is a practice. I can control my body through breath. And elite athletes, elite performers, what they do is they breathe differently. So think about whether you're giving a speech in front of 5,000 people, you're shooting a basketball in game seven, or you're just delivering a, a pitch to the VP of your organization. 
breathe, slow down, get in your body and get present. And that's a practice that is universal. We can all do it and we can do it any time of the day. I do that as well. Before I have a speaking engagement, I'll, I'll take a little walk and I'll do some deep breathing. And really, I tell engineers all the time, take a walk at lunch for five, 10 minutes, get away from the computer screen, go outside, breathe, walk, and just change it up a little bit. And these little things are important, but in the world of moving 150 miles an hour, unfortunately, we don't always take advantage of that. So with that, Croft, I want to thank you. First of all, thank you for your service, both in the military and in leadership, because you're doing great work. Croft spoke at one of our events, one of our engineering career summits, and he's just out there. He's doing his thing and he's helping people become better leaders. And so Croft, thank you for that. And thank you so much for spending some time in the podcast. Where can people find out more about you, your company, your book? So the book you can find, and it goes to the same place, it either uh, leadershipflowthebook.com or croftandcompany.com. That's one word. The and is spelled out. Find me on Twitter at Croft Edwards and on LinkedIn at Croft Edwards. And the good news about my name is there's so far, I only know of one Croft Edwards. So just type Google Croft Edwards and chances are I'll show up and you can get a hold of me. Well, Croft, thank you so much for spending some time with us. My pleasure, Anthony, at any time. Before we sign off, remember earlier in the show, I mentioned how we've created a new program called the Engineering Management Accelerator Workshop which combines intensity, focus, and accountability. I've coached thousands of engineers now, and these are the three keys to success. Now, this program is intense because it's a five-week online program, mostly done outside of working hours. So this is not a training program that's going to drag on for years. You'll focus because you'll be put on a team with other engineers. You'll be given an engineering management problem, and then we'll give you five one-hour skill-building calls on skills like communication, networking, productivity, and leadership. We'll also give you some group coaching calls with your team, and we'll put you in a private forum with your team and a coach, and you'll sprint and you'll find a solution. Then for accountability, you will present your solution at the end of the program to our coaches and also to your company once you're finished. This is not only accountability, but it's a huge opportunity because the problem that we give you may generate real solutions for your company while helping you become an effective engineering manager and improving your speaking skills at the same time. I have met way too many engineers that haven't been able to make that engineer to manager leap, and this program is built to change that. And I've got to tell you, the other challenge for engineers is speaking. Are you a competent speaker? Do you wish you could present more powerfully? Well, that's what this program is going to help you do, and it's already helping engineers do that. We finished the first program, and their presentations were dynamite. So please visit engineertomanager.com to enroll for our next session. Spots are limited, and we sold out our last one in just a few days. Also on the website, you will see a button that says Get Reimbursed. If you click it, you'll find a one-page PDF and some text that you can send to your supervisor in an email, and you'll probably get reimbursed. 90% of our students have. Again, all the information is at engineer2manager.com. Any questions, you can contact me at anthony at engineeringcareercoach.com. I hope you enjoyed the episode today with Croft Edwards. We'd love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. Go to engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash perfectly square. That's forward slash perfectly square, all lowercase. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. 
you can leave a question in the comments section or visit the Ask Us tab on the website. We monitor all comments and will respond if you leave us one. Until next time, please continue to engineer your own success. Thank you for listening to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Be sure to visit engineeringcareercoach.com where you can find all past episodes and also download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also to help develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.